0: If you would, t- take your Bibles now and open to John's Gospel, chapter 3. Gospel of John, chapter 3. As we continue our message from last week, that looking at verses 9 through 15, not finishing those, we go back to them this morning with the Lord's help. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come before you, we open this book, not as any other book, but as a living book, inspired, given out of sheer grace to us that we might know you, a book that pierces to parts of our mind and our heart, of which at times when we open it, we are not even aware that we need. And so, Father, we come before this word, this living word that not only reads us, but nourishes us, gives us life, gives us hope as we just sang about. We pray, Holy Spirit, in your hands that it would be open before our eyes, that it would be clear, that Christ would be known, that salvation and redemption through him and through his name would be acutely seen so that none may give an excuse when they leave, but they must encounter Jesus face to face this morning. We understand, Holy Spirit, that that takes a ministry from you that no man can accomplish. You are everywhere and always present. You are always powerfully, all powerfully at work. You preach a better sermon than any man can ever preach. And so we... Not only ask for your help, but we commit this word to you to do with it what you will, knowing that from eternity past you have sovereignly, providentially, graciously ordered our time in the word this morning. Every person here, every person listening, it is by your work. And so we know you have an intended purpose for it and we commit that to you. Do what you will. So long and we know it to be true that you will do it to your honor and glory. The father, the son and the spirit. And we ask these things only for that purpose that you would be glorified. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's look at John chapter 3 beginning reading in verse 9 down through verse 15. and Then we'll go back to pick up verses 12 through 15 this morning. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? The words of Jesus, he's referring to, you remember, speaking of regeneration and the Spirit's work and man being born anew, born again, born from above. How can these things be, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus answered him, verse 10, and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. These are the words of Jesus our Savior as He enters into this period of John chapter 3. Again, one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. But he enters into this glorious monologue that Nicodemus needs to hear. No longer is he allowing himself to be questioned. Rather, knowing men's hearts and knowing Nicodemus' mind and knowing Nicodemus' true spiritual state, Jesus enters into a glorious and gracious monologue for Nicodemus' own good, in which Jesus ultimately is glorified. And last week, as we left off, we found ourselves with Nicodemus' first hurdle. Nicodemus, in coming to Jesus, does right. We applaud Nicodemus that he has come to the right man for the right answers. And we applaud that, and it's glorious that he's there. We just thank God he's there. We thank God that he's there and he's hearing truth. But Nicodemus, while he has come to the right place and while he is asking good questions, he has not yet arrived at the place that he needs to be. And we found that to be true by Jesus' words and his own testimony as he comes to The end of verse 12, or I'm sorry, of verse 11. And he bluntly says to Nicodemus, here is the problem, Nicodemus. The problem is this, that you do not accept what we are saying. Remember the the tit-for-tat and the back-and-forth and and Nicodemus comes and and we we went through those, how Jesus matches Nicodemus step-for-step and Nicodemus comes at the beginning of this dialogue. He says, now, Rabbi, we know. And Jesus answered him and says, well, we say. Whatever you say, we say more. Whatever you think you know, we know more. And Jesus matches Nicodemus' And his steps. And yet he comes to the end of this recap, if you will. And he says in verse 11 very plainly, here's the problem, Nicodemus. You do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus, you have flatly rejected what we have said. You have refused to submit yourself to clear and plain truth. And he calls Nicodemus, as it were, to first and foremost respond by submitting to the truth. Nicodemus, this is what you must do. And now this morning in the verses that are left in this particular passage, we find Jesus calls him not only to a response of submission, as we saw last week, but to a response of belief. Here we find Nicodemus' second struggle. Not only is he struggling to submit himself to this new teacher, he is struggling to believe the new teacher. And may I say that where you are unwilling to submit to truth, you will never believe the truth. Belief and submission to the truth always go, they have to. They have to go hand in hand. Jesus poses this question out to Nicodemus. To prick him. And I want you to notice the kindness of the Savior in this. Jesus doesn't resort to calling Nicodemus' names. You stiff-necked Jew. You stubborn rabbi. No, there's none of that, is there? Notice Jesus over and over. Jesus responds with questions in order to prick the very conscience, the very deepest part of Nicodemus. He does not accuse him. Rather, he questions him. Jesus has all the authority in the world to deal very strictly and very harshly with this man. He has, after all, still rejected what Jesus has given him. But Jesus, understanding the frailty of Nicodemus, the frailty of you and the frailty of myself. He doesn't write us off when we question. He doesn't write us off when we struggle. Rather, he labors patiently with us, even though Bluntly and straightforwardly so. And as it should be. And so he goes to Nicodemus now. In verse 12 with a question. Would you look at the question? He says to Nicodemus. 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 If I told you earthly things. And you do not believe. You see he switched from. You don't accept. To you don't believe. If I tell you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, you, you haven't made it past the most rudimentary part of this. How do you expect to be able to go on? And again, has Nicodemus asked more questions? No, but Jesus knows his mind. Jesus knows his heart. Jesus knows what he's searching for. He wants the deeper questions of, life and eternity answered for him he wants the questions of the kingdom laid out clearly before him and jesus says i'm not able to go there nicodemus i have to labor with you a little further so i want to question you i want to provoke your thoughts by probing your heart i want to provoke your thoughts by probing the responses that you've already given what were those where did they come from What were they like? Why did they come about? And so Jesus here, even though the language is very blunt, it's very to the point, even though Nicodemus has been rejecting what he has heard to this point, he has not been believing it. Jesus continues to labor in grace and in mercy to Nicodemus. How can you, Nicodemus, receive the weightier matters of the kingdom? And by the way, Nicodemus is a very devout and sincere Jewish man. He is, after all you remember, the teacher of all of Israel. And Jesus, dealing with a very high-powered man, a very high-powered personality, still comes to question him. As a representative of all sincere Jews who wanted to know when is the kingdom coming? What is it going to be like? Where, how will we know Messiah is here? Jesus deals with Nicodemus. He knows those are the types of questions Nicodemus once answered. <clears throat> and so he continues dealing with him. Even with the earthly illustrations that Jesus so easily or or gives Nicodemus so that they can so easily be comprehended, Nicodemus still misses it. You want to know how dull we are? That's how dull we are. As human beings, all of us. Jesus puts it on the lowest shelf he can think of. The birth of a baby, the blowing of the wind, I mean, things that everyone is familiar with. We understand how they work and how they don't work. We understand our limitation in knowing about these things. And Jesus lays it out again. If if Jesus is doing that and not condemning Nicodemus, we, we have to conclude Jesus wants him to get it right because he is a gracious and compassionate savior. He's not some, you know, seminary professor that's waxing eloquent and trying to impress his new first year students with how much he knows. No, he's speaking in terms that Nicodemus can understand. He wants him to get it. He puts it on the, the bottom shelves, and yet even then, Nicodemus misses it. That's the dullness of sin over our minds. That's the, the, the absolute inability of man in our own strength to come to Christ, to grasp Christ, to grasp the gospel apart from God's sovereign, gracious help by his spirit creating life and faith in order that we might believe so the question is very natural it's it follows very easily nicodemus if i put it on the bottom shelf for you if i spoke to you of of earthly things which everyone sees and everyone has some familiarity with how in the world Well, I speak to you of heavenly things for which there is no earthly comparison. And you get it. How will that happen? And the bottom line is this. He won't and he can't. Jesus is presenting an impossible situation in himself, in his methodology, By which Nicodemus is trying to grasp eternal truth. Saving truth. By his own grid. By his own background. By his own intelligence. He will never come to the faith that Jesus is commanding him to come to. There's no hope for him in belief. Since he has rejected rudimentary things. Faith cannot skip the rudimentary and go to the eternal and the heavenly and the weightier matters if it does not accept the rudimentary things that Jesus gives. And unless you think that might be a bit harsh in our assessment of Nicodemus, it is Jesus who says very flatly in verse 11, he does not accept. He's been presented with an opportunity to accept, and he doesn't. And you know, believer, there's a warning for us here. Professing believer. Lest we too find ourselves religious like Nicodemus. Even asking good questions like Nicodemus. Even coming to the right source like Nicodemus. And yet not grasping what God has clearly revealed in any place and in any form. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 the apostle Paul writes this and I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual men but as to men of flesh as to infants in Christ I gave you milk to drink not solid food for you were not yet able to receive it indeed even now how are you able to receive it you're not able Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on in maturity and to the point of ultimate maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Let's move on past that, the writer of Hebrews says. Let's go on. Don't get stuck in the rudimentary things, Nicodemus. Jesus lays out the kindergarten. We're going back to school now, all of you teachers and those of you working with your kids at home, you get this, right? We lay out the curriculum. We spell it out. Here is what needs to be accomplished. Jesus, as a word, lays out kindergarten for Nicodemus. And Nicodemus rejects it and says, No, I believe I'll just move on to first grade. Jesus says, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. The boys and I were were watching um, a very sanctified thing on YouTube last night. To prepare our hearts for the Lord's Day and for worship this morning, we were watching Reformed Funny Moments. In which they were interviewing Al Mohler and... His love of reading. And he's telling all these humorous stories on himself. And he says, I can remember going to first grade and being extremely irritated that I came home the first day not reading at the level I thought I should be reading at. We may or may not have one in our house right now like that. I just want to be advanced. Let's skip the rudimentary music lessons, okay? Let's skip the rudimentary phonics lessons. And let's just go straight to the good stuff. That's Nicodemus. And Jesus says, you can't do that. Brothers and sisters, professing Christ this morning, we want to move on to spiritual maturity. We want to do great things for God. We want to be great things in God's sight. And yet, if we neglect the basic teaching, we'll never get there. We've got to go back to the beginning over and over and over again. You know, it may be the case that some of you are here this morning and you're not believing at all. You're not even professing to believe. And in your heart, there is a struggle. And I would ask you, why are you struggling with Jesus? What is it? What is it at the rudimentary level that may be holding you back? What obstacle, like Nicodemus, needs to be examined in your own heart, in your own life? What, what follows might seem somewhat illogical to us. Look back at the text, would you? Jesus asked the, the question in verse 12. It's a diagnostic question. The best Bible students, by the way, are always curious students. The best doctors are curious doctors. Doctors. They want to know, they want to ask questions, they want to diagnose. And Jesus is diagnosing in verse 12. And then he he seems to do something in verse 13 that just seems, if you're just reading it, seems like shifting from first to sixth gear without a clutch. It's rough. And he jumps straight in and he says, No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Huh? We go from talking about babies being born to wind blowing to me rejecting. And now the son of man descending. What Jesus, what are you doing? That this, this seems to be a bit confusing. And, and you're wanting me to learn rudimentary things. What is the rudimentary thing? The rudimentary thing is what Jesus says at the end of verse 13. The son of Of man. That's the hang up. Nicodemus has missed. He has come to Jesus with good questions. He has come to Jesus with pretty good suspicions that this is the Messiah. And yet he is still pushing back on that. And Jesus says, okay, here's the bottom line. It goes back to who I am. Rudimentary things aside, Nicodemus, we need to get back to the basics. And the basics is this, the authority of who I am. Who Jesus is. What his basis is for laying out these truths that have so confused Nicodemus. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you remember one thing from this morning, here's what I want you to take home with you. The Gospel is not a series of complex theological truths that are hashed out in systematic theology books that are hundreds of pages long. The Gospel is not what you can do, what you should do. The Gospel is the Son of Man. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the answer for what Nicodemus needs. And he is the answer for what you need. He is more than that. He is the answer that you must have. Several of you, if not all of you, are probably familiar with the sermon excerpt that has floated around the internet for some time now. Taken from a sermon preached by Alistair Begg. And in this sermon, he gives a scenario in which the thief on the cross makes it to heaven. And what it must have been like as he entered the gates of heaven. And he imagines the angel saying, "No." Why in the world are you here? What what can you please give us your recitation of the doctrine of justification? What is that? And 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 questions them on on, on this thief in various ways and from various angles. And and the angels are perplexed and they're saying, wait a minute. It was just moments ago you were cursing him. And he says, this man simply replies and he says, the man in the middle said I could come. And I believe that. How simple. How distilled. How childlike that kind of faith and what jesus is trying to get nicodemus to realize is that it is not everything that nicodemus has complicated it with he is now going below the bottom shelf he is putting it on the floor for nicodemus and he is saying nicodemus it's me nicodemus it's who i am it is by my authority it is by my life it is by what I have accomplished and will accomplish for you it's that simple nicodemus We need to ask where is the source of life Where is the source of truth Where is the the source of knowledge Now listen, I I love theology. I love to read theology. I love to think about theology. I love our confession of faith. I love the historic creeds. But if at any point, any of those things begin to obscure and minimize what Jesus is saying here in all of its beauty, in all of its power, in all of its simplicity, we've missed the point. Those things are to serve and to help us learn and to help us grow. But they are not the rudimentary things so many times. As people might make them out to be. Jesus says, Nicodemus, look, let's just get to the bottom line. And Here's the bottom line. It's me. You wanted to know who the Messiah is? You want to know if I'm the Messiah? I'm here to tell you right now. Yes, I am. And yes, salvation in life is found in me and in me alone. And notice again, he makes a statement to probe Nicodemus' thinking. No one has ascended into heaven and then descended from heaven. Except one who just came down from heaven. That's me the Son of Man, I have descended. No one has ever gone into heaven and acquired the knowledge necessary to teach you what I am trying to teach you and then come back with that message. Not Joseph Smith. Not Muhammad. Not any false religion. Not any of the Jewish mystics. None of them. But Christ alone, who is from the right hand of the Father, He has come down. And why has He come down? That Nicodemus and you and I might be raised up. He came down that we might be raised up. And in His coming down, He came with all of the requisite knowledge and authority of God Himself. You don't have to turn there, but mark it down if you're taking notes. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that God the Father in times past spoke through many ways and in many means through the prophets and the fathers, but now in these last times has spoken to us in one who is His Son. The God Nicodemus yearned to know, hungered and thirsted to know, was literally standing in front of him, speaking to him. And Jesus says, this is the essence, Nicodemus. It is not your Jewishness. It is not your works in that system. It is not your knowledge now. It is nothing, Nicodemus. It is me. Now, we must humble ourselves as Nicodemus had to do. And again, I'll say it, I believe he did. And say that even coming to an understanding that it is all about Christ, that Christ is central, that his authority is sufficient, does not come in our own strength, but comes only as a work of the Spirit. Man cannot be convinced by any other means than the internal working of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God pointing us to Jesus. That is how it must be. And that's why I would say to all of you, just in a way of practical application, Evangelism has to start in prayer. Beseeching the Spirit of God to move as we speak. Because without the Spirit's movement, without the Spirit's regenerating power, as Jesus is already enumerated to Nicodemus, without that, there is no hope. It still must be that the Spirit quickens and the Spirit makes alive and the Spirit gives faith to believe. And point us to the reality that is staring Nicodemus in the face. And it's staring us in the face this morning. That it is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus says, I have descended... As a sign of my ability as God, I am omnipotent. I am omnipresent. I am unfailing. I am unchanging. I am all that you need. I am able because I've come down from heaven. And I possess all of the authority having come down from heaven. In fact, look back to Matthew chapter 28. You all know this passage. But we go so quickly to the end of Jesus Discussion with his disciples that we often miss what comes before it. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, Jesus preparing his disciples for mission in life and what they are called to do. But before that, Jesus says this All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How's Nicodemus going to be convinced? To what must Nicodemus bow? To what and on what must we depend, brothers and sisters? It is the ability and authority of the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, speaking now to us in His Word. The One who came down that He might be raised up, and in being raised up, raise us up with Him. We must remain focused where Jesus draws our focus to himself. Now, when we go back to Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, as you are going, make disciples. Carry that power with you wherever you go. And make disciples. Why? The power resides in me and I have come down in full demonstration of that. Nicodemus, I have everything you need to hear. I have every power residing in me. I am the Son of Man. Look at me, Nicodemus. Look at me, not just physically, but with eyes of faith. Look that you might live. If we had to stop now for a moment halfway through and diagnose again Nicodemus's issues, Nicodemus's problems. What we would find is this, Nicodemus has been seeking results. He's been seeking answers while neglecting the root cause. It's like a doctor treating symptoms without getting to the cause. Jesus, just give me the answers I need, right? Just give me the, the ten points, the three points, the five points. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. I'll believe it. I'll go with it. And Jesus is essentially slowing him down, diagnosing him yet again and saying, now let's reevaluate. Your problem is that you're missing the cause. Did Nicodemus know truth? Nicodemus knew a lot of truth. Nicodemus is the teacher Of Israel. And he's still missing the point. You know. Today. I I was amazed that. In our study of Genesis. When we began that a couple of years ago. I picked up a commentary from a man who is not a believer. But he is a serious. Orthodox Jewish scholar on the book of Genesis. And I'm reading him and I'm reading evangelicals. And I'm going, this guy gets more than most evangelicals get. He's on to something, but, 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 but though he possesses all this great knowledge, guess what he still rejects? Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Son of Man. This is Nicodemus. He's got all kinds of answers. He's got all kinds of knowledge. And here's the reality. Truth that does not cause you to look up to Jesus will never lift you up to Jesus. Truth that keeps you focused on what you did in the gospel, what part you played, what you can do, all of those kinds of things. If that's what you're focused on, you'll never be looking up. And Jesus' condemnation is Nicodemus' pride and saying, Nicodemus, you may know a lot, but you're still not looking in the right place. You're still not seeing me as the answer. You're wanting all kinds of other solutions and answers. Your pride, your religion is blocking the view. Get it out of the way. Quit relying on things that keep you looking inward and outward even, but never upward. By Jesus coming down, He will raise Himself and us up. And He must be the supreme thing that is grasped. His sovereign authority, his unmatched ability makes him who he is. And it gives him all the power to say to us, you must be born again. How, Jesus? By looking to me. By looking to me. We marvel at people in Scripture, don't we, who got it? They got the point. I think one of the most moving accounts and yet little talked about accounts in Scripture is the centurion at the foot of the cross in Mark chapter 15. Jesus is hanging on the cross for his sins, for your sins, for my sins. He is hanging upon the cross bearing the wrath of God. The centurion sees the disfiguring, dismembering torturous wrath of sin, the effects of sin, the wrath of God upon Jesus. And at the end of the day, at the conclusion of the moment, he says in Mark 15, 39, Surely, surely this man is the Son of God. Who else speaks like this? Who else does this? Think about Peter, the one we love to punch on and point to as an example what not to do. Did get it right from time to time. And in John chapter 6, verse 68, after that difficult uh, sermon by Jesus to the masses, and so many of them leave, Jesus turns and he looks at his own inner circle, his own small group, and he looks at those apostles and those disciples and says, Do you want to leave too? Do you want to leave? And what is Peter's response? To whom would we go? To whom shall we go? If we leave You or You leave us, who will we go to? You have the words of life. Not us. Not anyone else. Jesus, it's You. The Greeks who came to the feast in John chapter 12, verse 21. Sir, we would see Jesus. What do you want? We want Jesus. Show us Christ. Show us the Son of Man who has descended that He might... Ascend for us. These people in Scripture who got it wanted the origins of truth, not the results of truth. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. We've probably all seen evangelism done in really poor ways. One of the poorest ways is to go onto a playground and say to a bunch of little kids, how many of you want to go to heaven? They'll all raise their hand. Or to sit in a church service and say, how many of you want streets of gold and mansions and blah, 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 blah. How many of you want the good life that Jesus promises? We all want the results. But do we want the Savior? Because to have the Savior is to have to live like the Savior. To follow in the Savior's steps. And that is fundamentally different. If it's merely the outcome we seek, then the outcome has become your god not the god who came down that he might be raised up and raising being raised up raise us with him he is salvation think about the apostles in the book of acts chapter 4 verse 12 there is no other name given among men under heaven not way not path, not class, not systematic truths, there's no man. There's no name. Among all of humanity and all of history and all of the world, by which you must be saved. It's it's as if Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. This truth must be our truth as we examine our own hearts to see whether or not we are followers of Jesus. These truths must be in our thinking as we go out and call others to faith in Jesus. Listen, we don't evangelize. You should never evangelize because you feel sorry for people. You should evangelize people because you are men and women, boys and girls under authority. And the authority says this, go out and tell them who I am. Go out and tell them that I am the one in whom resides life, and all authority, in me all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted. Our emotions for people follow that, but they must never lead that. We must point them to Christ. Jesus, in that authority, has come to accomplish all of His saving purpose. Now, look at the illustration Jesus gives. I mentioned He's a gracious Savior. How do we know He's gracious? Because He has spoken. Carl F.H. Henry said that Scripture is... God's gracious forfeiture of His own privacy so that His creatures might know Him. He's a God who reveals so that we might know and we might believe. And in order to do that, He uses things people understand. He doesn't put it up here where nobody gets it. He puts it down here where everybody can get it. Words commonly understood. So notice what he does with Nicodemus. Again, let me ask you a question. Who is Nicodemus? He is a conscientious Jewish man. He is the teacher of Israel. Which means he does one thing. He knows his Old Testament. And so what does Jesus do? He pulls out one of the greatest chapters in Israel's history. So that Nicodemus can grab it. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, verse 14, in the wilderness, even so, just like that, Nicodemus, so must the Son of Man. That's me. Remember the last verse? So must I be lifted up. So that, as a result of me being lifted up, whoever believes will in him, in me, have eternal life. What is he referring to? In case you forgot, Numbers chapter 21, Israel is in a bad way again. We read this, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Well, what's your point? Why did you do this to us, God? Well... The Lord sent fiery serpents, verse 6, among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. It's an invasion of poisonous vipers. And they're biting people and they're poisoning people. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. They know their problem. Intercede with the Lord, Moses, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus says, Nicodemus, do you remember that story? Do you remember what happened? Israel sinned, Israel complained, Israel needed redemption, and yet they were being killed. They were being poisoned by all of these snakes. And Moses raised up a bronze serpent. And all who looked to the serpent, looked to God's provision, were saved. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, that serpent was a foreshadowing of me. I came down to be lifted up so that all who look to me, all who look at me, all who focus their hope and their belief on me, they'll be saved. Jesus is the only hope for you, Nicodemus. There's not an antidote for serpent venom in Old Testament Israel. There is not an antidote for sin outside of this—the one who is raised up. I am the only Savior for the world, Nicodemus. There will never come another Savior into the world. I am it. But I'll never be. Under, I'll never be. A savior in the world's eyes. By the world's understanding. And I won't be a savior. For you. By your understanding. Nicodemus. You must submit. To what I'm telling you. Jesus says for all. In the world. Not, not, not Jews only. But anyone in the world. Can come to me. Anyone. Anyone can look to me. I came into the world to save all kinds of people in the world. It harkens back to what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 45:22, "Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth." Jew or Greek, doesn't matter. Sophisticated or barbarian doesn't matter. I am God and there is no other, Isaiah says. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Do it, Nicodemus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, verse 2. The author and the perfecter, the one who authors and accomplishes our faith. Look at him. Nicodemus is looking, but he's looking in the wrong areas. He's looking where his training had told him. He's looking where his religion told him, but he's not looking at Jesus. And Jesus says, it has to be through me. It has to be in me, Nicodemus. Everything else is futile. It requires the work of the Spirit to bring Nicodemus to that point. Jesus says to Nicodemus, when the Spirit prompts, when the Spirit moves, look. Look. If you and I are to be saved, there must be an authoritative answer to our sin. There must be a sovereign origination of our faith. Because sin is so deep. It is so great. It is so divisive. Dividing us from the life that is in the Father. There must be an authoritative answer to sin. Where does that come from? One who descended. So that he might ascend. doesn't come from our works. Can I say it this way? It doesn't even come from the prayer of You pray. Your prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saved you. You see, if we begin to focus on the tools, we'll eventually idolize those tools. And they'll become more important than the one who actually saves. And what happens when the tool gets rusty or dull? And we say to ourselves, what if I didn't have enough faith? What if I didn't say the right words? What if all those things are true? Well, if that's what you're relying on, then you have good reason to worry. But if what you're relying on is the sinless, authoritative Son of God who descended from heaven with all truth and was raised up upon a cross for us, if He is your salvation, nothing can dull or diminish that nothing look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. that's what God is calling Nicodemus to do God in flesh calling Nicodemus to do that let me just remind you of something In 2 Kings chapter 18, we have the tragic ending of that bronze serpent that was raised up by Moses. Now, I bet most of you remember the story of the bronze serpent, right? I mean, who who can forget something that crazy? That's wild. But I bet we don't often remember the ending of that story. You see, Israel kept that bronze serpent and they took that bronze serpent and they, 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 they held on to it and it became kind of a mystical, powerful thing that Israel eventually turned into its own idol so much so that when righteous Hezekiah instituted his reign and began to go throughout all the land of Israel and to cleanse it from idols and to destroy false worship, 2 Kings 18, verse 3, says he destroyed that serpent also. Why? The children of Israel had quit looking to God who provided the serpent and instead started looking at the serpent itself. And that's where we're in danger, brothers and sisters. Don't look at the serpent. Don't look at means. Don't look at how-tos like Nicodemus is hoping to do. And can you blame him? The poor man. His whole life has been programmed in a how-to guide. Steps one, two, three, four, and five. You keep those, you're good. And Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, just give me the guide. And Jesus says, there's not a guide. There's a glorified son, a savior. That's all you need. Don't, Don't turn this into an idolatrous Bronze snake, Nicodemus. Look at me, keep looking at me. Gordon ketty writes this, if we abstract our personal experiences from Christ, we will trust in them rather than Him. The real evidence of being born again is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and living for Him as your Lord. How imperative it is then that God sends down His Son. That He might be lifted up to reveal to us the God who possesses all authority, all life, all mercy, on all grace. So that we might look up. Like Jesus is calling Nicodemus to do. Nicodemus, just look up. Look to Me. I am the end. We sing it. See Him there. Who made an end to all our sins. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look in punishment upon Him and yet pardon me. It's what Jesus wants Nicodemus to see. It's what He wants us to see. May God grant us eyes to see, hearts to believe. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we love You. Because You first loved us and sent Your Son to be the satisfaction and the payment for our sins. Father, I pray that by Your unending, immutable mercies that You would always keep us looking to Jesus. Hoping in Jesus. Believing Jesus. May we never fall away into wanting a how-to list. Or even depending on the prayer and the words we said, or the level of meaning we placed behind words or the amount of faith we had, may it be Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, if there's one here this morning who has never found themselves looking to Jesus as the answer, the payment for their sins, having died in their place upon that cross, Absorbing their punishment, may today be the day that you open their eyes, lift their heads and cause them there to see the risen Son. Who lives, who came, who was offered on their behalf. Lord, would You do that for them? I cannot do that for them. They can't even do that for themselves. But would You open their eyes, cause them to see, grant them faith to believe, and a heart inflamed with love and gratitude that follows, having seen such a glorious Savior. Father, for those of us who have seen, Jesus, by Your grace we have believed, may we never turn our eyes away and forget who it is and what it is that truly saves us. We love You, Lord. Minister to us now as You know best how to and as only You can. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus, our strong, kind, sovereign and unchanging Savior.